Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond, Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. And you can see to my right is not Pastor Alex Hill, who's usually with me this morning, but he had an appointment he had to be at. And he will be back with us on Monday morning. So we're going to miss Pastor Alex, but uh, maybe you folks can help us get through today. But anyway, I just want to welcome you to the Raven Institute of Ministries and Biblical Studies. Uh, and we're going through a, a teaching, really an expository teaching on the book of Romans. And God has just really been revealing a lot of things to me personally, and I hope that uh, those of you who have been participating in this study uh, from the beginning, where you've been listening to them, uh, uh, you know, recorded format of some type, that, that God has really been speaking to you as well. And most of all, that He would just be challenging you to get into the Word of God on a uh, on a daily basis and really get deeper into the things of God. So that's really been our, our premise. If you have not uh, been able to be a part of all these, you can also go to our uh, website at www.raveninstitute.com dot blogspot dot com and you can download those things in their entirety on your computer in MP3 format. Brother uh, Steve Nowski, who is with us today, he uh, uh, records those things and makes those available for us uh, each week uh, for the Raven Institute. Those things are free. Download them. If you want a hard copy of that, you can email me, Pastor Troy. Uh, my email address is raven at biggrace.com. Love to send you out a, a uh, CD-ROM of those. Absolutely free of charge. So let's get into prayer this morning. Pray just ask God to, to bless it and dive right into our Romans class today because I know we have a lot of good stuff uh, today. So Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to come, Lord God, and to just get into your word. Father, we just spread a table of your word today. We just ask that you would just come, Lord God, and fill us up. We, 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 we love you, Lord God, because you first loved us. And Lord God, what my prayer is, Lord God, for those that would be listening, Lord God, today live, would be listening, uh, Lord God, later on a, on a CD or MP3 format or podcast, Lord God, it would just cause a hunger, Lord God, for the Word of God to be birthed in their life. Father, that's my prayer today, that there would be a hunger, be an insatiable thirst, Lord God, for righteousness and for just a relentless pursuit of the truth of God's Word. Father, I pray that we would be like the deer that pants after the water brook, Lord God. We would just want to draw, Lord God, from that, that life spring of the Word of God. But I pray, Lord God, for just such a, a no-compromise mentality to come upon your people as they hear the Word of Truth preached, Lord God. Father, I thank you that heaven and earth, Lord God, are going to pass away. Our opinions, our circumstances, our situations, Lord God, are going to pass away. Uh, all of our wrong motivation, Lord God, our, our, our religiosity, all those things are going to pass away, but your Word will not pass away. So, Father, my prayer is today, Lord God, that we will find ourselves founded, Lord God, rooted and grounded, Lord God, upon this this, this these, these unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus, Lord God, that you set upon this rock, Lord God, that you have built your church, and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it, Lord God. And I pray that today, Lord God, that we would find ourselves built, Lord God, established and founded upon the word of truth, Lord God, in power. Father, for those that struggle, Lord God, with just an understanding and a comprehension, I pray for the mind of Christ to rest upon them right now in Jesus' name. Father, the word says that you're going to send us, Lord God, the spirit of truth, Lord God, the comforter, who will lead and guide us into all truth. And Father, we need your leading. We need your guiding, Lord God. I am desperate for you. Lord God, apart from you, we have no wisdom. We have no understanding. But Lord God, we have the Spirit of God that's come and dwells inside of us that is there to teach us, Lord God, all things. And I pray right now, Lord God, for all my brothers, my sisters, Lord God, that the Spirit of truth, Lord God, would rest upon them as they're listening to this teaching today. And I pray, Lord God, even as Paul prayed, give me utterance that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, Lord God. We're, we're, we're dependent upon you today, Lord God, and we're thankful for you that you're here, Lord God, in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen and amen. Folks, we're in the third chapter of the book of Romans. Let you go begin to get there. And we're going to be, uh, we're going to be kind of touching just, just a second on where we was at yesterday on the 23rd verse of chapter 3 and just kind of diving right into the next couple of verses, uh, this morning. And folks, you'll, you'll remember in yesterday's program that we had dealt with probably one of the most well-known and revealing and I guess you could really honestly say one of the most important scriptures in the Word of God, and that was Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And what's interesting about that is it is such a, a, an interesting and, 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 and a scripture that is, 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 is such a catalyst for, for the new birth. And you know, you think about it, uh, many people know if you're, you're going to a football stadium and they'll hold up signs that say John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And then people, all of sin comes short of the glory of God. You know, I think it's interesting that in, in a world that's so filled with, 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 with wickedness, that's so filled with error and deception, that even lost people will quote these scriptures to you. I think because there's such a... The God's mercy is so extended. You know, the Word says God is good and His mercy endures forever. I think over 50-something times in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, God just revealed His goodness and His mercy. Just think how much more mercy that He has now because of the blood of Jesus and because of the finished work of the cross of Calvary. And so we know that all of sin comes from the glory of God, but just to, to behold the goodness of God, we begin to look at the Word. We begin to, to search the Scriptures and see the mercy of God. We begin to, to, to look what Jesus Christ did for us upon the cross of Calvary. It, it, just, it reveals to us that you know, while we were sinners, that Christ died for the ungodly, that we were wicked, that there was nothing salvageable in our lives apart from the goodness of God. We have come short of His glory. We talked about yesterday to close out the program that, that the glory of God is that, that, that revealed position in Christ. It's that revealed place that we see Him. And, and something happened when we sinned. We, we fell short of that glory or we lost our God perspective on things. And I believe what God is doing um, in the world today and what He's designed to do, you know, He said, we mentioned this as well, but He said if He'd be lifted up that He would draw men to Him. And so we need to get lifted back up to that perspective that God sees. We want to see things the way uh, God sees things. And you've heard me say that when you see it like He saw it, then you will do it like He did it. And, and God saw the world in desperation. And so He sent His Son into the world to, to serve a desperate people and to offer His life for sinners. And you know, if we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves followers of Christ, that has got to be the same motivation for us. It's not to, to build our ministries. It's not to... To, uh, to, to get secure in our livelihood. But it's the exact same reason that Jesus came, and that was to seek and to save that which was lost. And so if I get back to his perspective, and I see things the way he saw things, then I'll begin to do things the way he did things. And what's going to happen, I believe, that, that, that in our churches, that in our ministry, in our families, in our workplaces, if we begin to get the right perspective, we'll begin to see those things drawn to that place. Because the place of perspective is the place of the cross. And so when I begin to look at my life, when I begin to look at anything I do through the perspective of the cross of Calvary, it shows me that, that without Christ, I'm completely undone. That I've got to depend upon Him completely and fully. That He was, yes, He was wounded for my transgressions. Yes, that He was bruised for my iniquities. That yes, the chastisement of my peace was upon Him. And yes, by His stripes, I'm healed. That is the perspective that God wants us to walk in. It's His perspective that brings victory over sin, that brings deliverance over the, the, the uh, 
uh, wicked thought life. It's a, it's a perspective that, that brings healing to a broken body. It's a perspective that preaches righteousness and truth over, over, over compromise. And so it's, it's that perspective and that place of God's glory. We want to see the God glorified, but we've got to move into that place of glorification. And the Word tells us that we move from glory to glory. And so we've got to move back to that place of, of seeing the glory of God being made manifest. Then we'll begin to have the fruit of His glory. So many things have happened in Christianity, especially within the, 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 our charismatic movement. I'm a spirit-filled individual. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, I believe in operating those things. I don't believe those things were done away. I've seen them for years and years and years made manifest. I believe that if somebody's bound by Satan, let's cast the devil out of them. I believe that if someone's sick, let's lay hands on them with the expectancy that the blood of Jesus was enough to, to heal them. I, I, I believe in, 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 in speaking in, in words of wisdom and words of knowledge and in, in, in the working of miracles and tongues and interpretation. I believe in everything that the Word of God says. But something has happened that is kind of trying to give a, 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 a substitute for those things. And, and really what the Scripture talks about, it says in the last days they'll come with, with, li- with, 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 with these lying wonders, with signs and lying wonders. So there's going to be a, an imposter type thing coming. And I believe that we can see those things. They look real good and they, they, they have a form of godliness, but they genuinely deny the power because they're not accompanied with the heralding of the gospel to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so a lot of these things that promote themselves as Christianity, they promote themselves as power, they're missing that one key ingredient, which is the preaching of the uncompromised gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is really just an essential, essential part when we talk about all the sin and come short of the glory. We've lost the God perspective. But I believe as we get into the Word, as we begin to pray and seek His face, and as we begin to walk in obedience to those things, what happens? We begin to think differently. We begin to get God's mind on things. And, and folks, I don't want you to get discouraged because as you begin to get the mind of Christ, as you begin to, to think the way He thinks, People aren't going to understand you. You're going to, you're going to come up with all types of conflict. You're going to have uh, uh, people that just do not understand because it's kind of like the, the when he gave the parable of the old wineskins, that you've got to put new wine into new wineskins. But he said also that those that have, have grown accustomed to the old wine, that when the new wine comes, that they don't immediately have a taste for it. And so we've got to acquire a taste for righteousness because in our flesh dwells no good thing because we, are, we were all together undone. When God begins to challenge in those areas, we, we, we're like a child taking medicine. We, it may be good for us. It may be something that's going to do us uh, a great service, but we think it's bitter on our tongue. But God begins to grow us in those things. So I encourage you just to, to stay faithful. Keep the faith. You know, we, we, we learned in Romans chapter 1 that the just shall live by faith. And it's got to be a lifestyle in that whole process. Recently, and I was talking to somebody, just a lively, popular megachurch pastor and television evangelist was interviewed by CNN's Larry King. Most of you folks have heard of Larry King. And this, this, this megachurch pastor, he's the author of a best-selling book and whatnot, but he made some interesting points, really, that I, I saw in such relationship to this issue of all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many have sinned? All have sinned. Everyone has is, is, is fallen short of that glory. But when he was asked about his views on some really, I guess we'd call them hot-button political and religious issues by Larry King, and here's what he responded. Larry King began to ask him about issues like gay rights and same-sex marriage and, and different things like this. And here's, here's what this television evangelist response. He said, I have thoughts. He said, I just, you know, I, I don't think that a same-sex marriage is the way God intended it to be. He said, I don't think abortion is the, the best. He said, I, I think there are 
other ways, you know, a, a better way to live your life. But he said, but I'm not going to condemn those people. He said, I tell them all the time that we're open to everybody. Folks, abortion, there is, a, a, you know, he said, I don't think abortion is the best. Abortion is not an option. Abortion is murder. Uh, I, I don't think that same-sex marriage is the, is the way God intended. It's, it's an abomination before God. The, the king went on to make the point. He said, so do you call those folks sinners? And he said, I don't. And Larry King asked this televangelist, he said, so is that a word that you use? And he said, I don't use it. He said, I've never thought about it. And he said, I probably don't even use that word. That word being the word sinner. And so what's interesting to me, folks, in relationship to what we're talking about here in Romans uh, uh, 3.23 and 24 and 25 today, is we have, we have these quote-unquote men of God today that are, that are supposedly the pace-setters for Christianity, wildly popular in, in the realm of, of Christianity, and, but they won't even use the word sinner or sin or sin. And, you know, you look at what's interesting about that. The Apostle Paul, who we, we know is the, the apostle to the Gentiles, He's the author of what we refer to as the Magna Carta of the, of the, of the New Covenant, the Book of Romans. He used that, that, that term sinner or derivatives of that term numerous times throughout his writings. He, he never backed off the, the utilization of that. Matter of fact, the, the, the terms sin, sinner, sinner, sin, sins are used hundreds and hundreds of times throughout the Word of God and literally they serve as that thing that reveals the heart of people and that urgent necessity of a need for a Redeemer. Folks, listen. Condemnation is not calling sin, sin or sinner, sinners. I go back and say that because this gentleman made the point. He said, I'm not going to condemn those people. Larry King just strictly asked him, so do you call them sinners? He said, I'm not going to condemn them people. But Paul used those words all the time. And Paul also said, and we'll see in Romans 8, he said there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 3 that this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. And so condemnation is light coming into the world, uh, or in this case, the refusal to allow light to come into the world, uh, and people loving darkness over the light because their deeds were evil. Folks, sin, sinners, sinning, Calling that stuff out is not condemnation. That is like throwing a life ring to someone drowning in an ocean. Uh, calling those things what they are, saying, listen, you're going too deep. I live right here in Daytona Beach, Florida, and all along the beach are these elevated platforms. And, and, and every single one of those things have a lifeguard on them. And so their job is, think about this perspective, and get this analogy just for a second. Those lifeguards aren't at our level. They're not just standing with their feet on the soft sand. But they are up on an elevated uh, platform so that they have a greater perspective. And so from their elevated perspective, they're watching all of these people that are out there swimming in the ocean. And what they do, periodically, depending on the conditions of the water, they'll change the color of flags. Uh, if, if it's a time that they have great rip currents, and a rip current is when the water begins to try to, to suck you out into the, the, to the deep blue, they'll put a red flag up, and they will constantly warn you of the, of the risk of, of going out too far that you'll get pulled into it. And it's based upon their elevated perspective. And many times when you're standing out there, you don't see the danger. And what their other uh, responsibility is, if they see something in the water, say for instance they saw a shark, they'll immediately begin to, to, to sound the alarm. Now, I could say to myself, you know what? That lifeguard is condemning me. 
That lifeguard is trying to mess up my fun. That lifeguard just don't understand where I'm at. That lifeguard just needs to, to let me do what I want to. He don't know what he's talking about. But folks, that lifeguard has been trained in all those techniques. He's been trained to recognize danger that I don't even see. He's, he's, been, he's uh, been trained to, to recognize conditions and to see things before they get to you. And folks, that's why we have to get into the Word of God to be trained. And so what happens is, is we get back to that elevated position. We get a position that, that, that people that are in sin, that people that are sinners can't see. Why? Because our eyes have been opened up through the revelation of the truth. Now folks, I tell you what, if that lifeguard just sat up on that perch and he saw impending danger, maybe he saw a shark coming at someone, or he recognized that the tide conditions were very dangerous for swimmers to be too far removed from the shoreline, if he didn't say anything, he would stand guilty before God, and he would be stand guilty before those that employed him, and, and he would be responsible for the calamity that, that would befall those people. Saints, we're the exact same way. If we say that we love God, if we say that we know God, if we say that we are, 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 are wanting to study the Word of God, Yet we refuse to warn sinners of the wickedness of the way, according to Ezekiel, that, that, that their blood will be upon our hands. That if, if we see someone swimming into to a, a situation that's going to be destructive, we can't say to ourselves, you know what, your lifestyle may not be the best. This may not be. Folks, it is death. It is death. We can't say to a swimmer out in the middle of the ocean, listen, that probably wouldn't be the best thing to do. No, what we've got to do is sound the alarm and if necessary, we've got to do just like those, those men and those women that are called lifeguards. You'll see them many times here at Daytona Beach. They'll, 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 they'll grab their life ring and they will, they will run for the water. They'll run for everything that they're worth and they'll swim out there to rescue someone. They don't, they, don't have, they don't wait for it. Once they see danger coming, once they see someone maybe flailing around or, or caught up in a rip current, man, they are on top of it instantaneously. And folks, we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have got to have that same type of mentality. God has made you lifeguards, and the life preserver that He has given you is the Word of God. This is what we've got to take for them. There, there's something that's well known too. They talk about people that are drowning, that if, if they get into a panic mode, and they don't even realize that you're there to save them and they'll begin to fight against you. Folks, that's the exact time of mode that, that the church has gotten into. And as a result, lost people. They're in a panic mode. So when you preach the word, they're fighting against you, not even realizing that you're there to save them. And so the, the condemnation is, and I'll say it again, it's, 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 it's not in preaching the word. It's in not calling sin, sin, or sinners, sinners, because we put them in a state of condemnation. Let me say this. If you went to the doctor and he did tests on you, he did a, a CAT scan, he did an x-ray on your, on your, your head, and, and it revealed a, a, a massive brain tumor, and because you were having these headaches and all these things and blurred vision, but it revealed this massive brain tumor that can only be treated by a very specific and very uh, urgent means or surgical procedure. Uh, but, and, 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 but would you not want him to tell you that? You'd want him to tell you that you had a brain tumor. You wouldn't want him to tell you because he didn't want to hurt your feelings or make you worry or, or change what you thought. You wouldn't want to tell him, listen, you just got a headache. And maybe if you'll just go home and take two or three aspirin. Why? Because you, you want that doctor to tell you the truth. Even though the news may not uh, uh, be exactly what you're expecting at the time, because you see him in his role as a perceived expert, you would expect him to give you the complete picture and the complete remedy. That, 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 that my folks, 
This, this, this minister on Larry King, and unfortunately much of the modern church, have just failed to do those type of things. And so what God wants us to do, He's made us uh, uh, the hands, and He's made us those, those assistants to the great physician. We are in the operating room of the world right now. And we are the hands that are assisting the great physician. And we can't tell the world that you've just got a little bit of a headache, and if you'll just take two aspirin, I'll see you in the morning. We can't tell the world that, you know what, there's, you know, you're okay, and you know what, there may be a better way to do it, but in the meantime, you just allow that, 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 that tumor of sin to continue to grow and to press against your, your skull. You've got to, don't, don't worry about those things, just allow that type of bondage to come in your life. So folks, in order to avoid the difficult situation of sin, they've literally, they, they've chosen to keep the diagnosis of sin to themselves. And as a result of that, they've literally condemned a, a generation of people to an eternal hell. Now listen to this. They say that their detractors, or those that call sin, sin, or call sin what it is, are condemning people. But really, they can smile all they want and they can whisper on television like Mr. Rogers, but their refusal to preach the gospel as it is given through the Word of God is ultimately the greatest tool of condemnation that the world has ever known. The refusal, when you know the, 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 the consequences, when you know the sickness and the, the, uh, the disease of sin upon society, and you will not lift a finger or you will not lift a voice to, to, to herald that call to repent for the kingdom of heaven is an end, you become the, the, the handlers of condemnation upon a generation. I can't, I can't and will not, my folks, be guilty of that same type of offense. Acts chapter 20, verses 26 through 27. Acts chapter 20, verses 26 through 27 says this. He said, wherefore, and he said, this is Paul the Apostle once again talking, the one that, that, is, that, that wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this, this book that we call Romans. He said in Acts uh, 20, 26 through 27, he said, wherefore, he said, I take you to record. He said, I want you to mark this. He said, he said mark my words. He said that I am pure from the blood of all men. He said, the reason that is because I have not shunned to declare unto you all of the counsel of God. He said, listen to me. Listen up. And I'll say the exact same thing, folks. Take me to record this day. That is my desire to be blood guiltless. Is to, to have my hands cleansed of the blood of all men. Why? Because, because I was nice. Because I spoke in the hushed tones like Mr. Rogers. Why? Because I, 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 because I, I, I didn't want to call sin, sin. No, I, not because of those things. Not because I said, you know what? It may not be a, a, the best thing to, to, to have an abortion. It may not be the best thing to walk in that what homosexuality or what you call some type of alternate lifestyle. No, folks, those things are going to kill you. Those things will condemn you. But, but to declare and to give the entire counsel of God. Why? Because all have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. And unless you repent, you will perish. What does that do? That allows the hands of the sinner's life to be cleansed. It puts in their hands the, the healing water and the, 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 the place of, of restoration, the place of salvation that God has prescribed for us. And so I'll say this. Well, our desire, desire here for the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, and really for Raven Ministries in general, whether it's Raven West Coast, Raven East Coast, Midwest, Southwest, Gulf Coast, whatever we're doing, <clears throat> whether it's sitting in a place like this and, and teaching the Word, whether it's, it's preaching behind the pulpit of a church, or, or whether it's out there on a street corner in a neighborhood, or, or sitting down with someone over coffee, it is to give the full counsel of God, regardless of how they're going to think about us. Because at the end of the day, it does not matter what anyone thinks about me. 
What matters is what they think about Jesus and ultimately what Jesus thinks about them based upon their repentance and receiving Him. So I want to say this. When you preach the truth without compromise or without the fear of man, you will undoubtedly face opposition from those who would rather soft-sell the Word of God. You're going to face it. Why? Because it throws something up in their face. And so when you begin to preach the Word of God, when you begin to testify of the righteousness of God, you're, you're, going, to come in, you're going to have conflict. He said, in this world you'll have tribulation. He said, but do not fear. He said, you've overcome the world. He's overcome the world for us. He, he, he said, blessed are you when men would revile you and persecute you and speak all manner of evil against you falsely. He said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. He said, do you not know that they persecuted the prophets who were before you? Folks, when you begin to preach the word of God, you are preaching prophetically. You are preaching what the word says. You are one that would herald the word of truth. Now, I'm not telling you that you're some prophets, you need to go by prophetess. I'm saying once you begin to teach the word of truth, you are, are heralding and prophesying the word of God. And you know, and so you can't begin to soft sell those things and expect uh, God to honor those things, but you can, you can expect to preach those things and be met with opposition. I received an email uh, recently from a pastor in New Mexico that did not agree with my adamant stance concerning the Word of God. We had a discussion and I sent him a 22-page, uh, uh, basically a dissertation on the, on the subject matter that we were talking about. And he wrote me back this, this note. And I'm going to read this part of it to you. And like I said, I wrote him 22 pages of, of doctrine, what the Scripture says. And he wrote this back to me. He said, you have, and it made him upset, obviously. You'll be able to tell by this, this letter and read to you. He said, you've reminded me why I'm in the ministry. And he said, it's to continue to pick up your wounded. He said, we, speaking of himself, we give grace rather than criticism. He said, we believe in establishing a relational bridge so that confrontation uh, can not only be given, but it's, it can also be received. He said, based on what I read about you, he said, this approach is pretty foreign to you, and I certainly would not expect you to understand me. We don't preach condemnation. We preach transformation. And he said, I see that you have issues with that. He said, you, don't have, you have no fruit of the Spirit, speaking of me. And he said, on a brother-to-brother -brother level, he said, you are weak. He said, you pass it. He said, you package your message with malice and contempt. He said, I personally went through a divorce, and I, I know all too well what can happen to a man who does not balance himself. Perhaps that means that I've reached a level of maturity that in time you will experience. Folks, come on. Give me a break. He got his feelings hurt because I called him on the carpet on the Word of God. Uh, uh, he said, you reminded me that I'm here to pick up your wounded. Folks, all we are about is picking up the wounded. I guess he's never followed us into the streets of the inner cities of this nation and, and saw children that have been molested and, and we're going after them, whether it's in, in, in Pennsylvania or, or in Chicago or in Los Angeles. I guess he's never seen the thousands upon thousands of people that we've gone out and loved on that, 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 were, that were rancid in their smell and we took them into our homes and we've loved them. I guess he, he wasn't there when we kicked in those crack house doors and pulled out uh, people's teenagers and men that had been hooked on drugs and, and took them into our homes and, and, and kept them for a year, two, three years at a time and saw them restored and that stuff with the Word of God and saw them saw them delivered from those things. He, he said that, that, they preach, that, we, that I preach condemnation. Folks, this is the condemnation that light has come in the world and men love darkness rather than light. He's, the gospel the, and the gospel only is the only thing that can genuinely make transformation in a person's life. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things become new. We've got to preach a message that leads people 
to Christ Jesus. Not that leads them to compromise or leads them to a place of destruction. And we see it all over the place. We saw it this past weekend with people out in, in, in places like uh, like Maple Street in, 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 in Pennsylvania. We see these, these things are happening out on, on Michigan Street and on Bourbon Street. We see hundreds of people come to the Lord Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Why? Because He's chosen the foolishness of preaching the gospel to save those that are lost. Second Timothy chapter three verses twelve through seventeen. Second Timothy chapter three verses twelve through seventeen. He said, Yes, yes, somebody say yes. He said, All those who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. Saints, listen, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, I'm going to become a Christian, I'm going to avoid persecution, you are, you are, you are buying into the wrong philosophy. He says, if you will live godly in Christ Jesus, you can expect to suffer persecution. Not that you can expect to avoid persecution. Now, when I say persecution, I'm not talking about going through a difficult time. There are people that are in the world that are not living that are going through a difficult time. I'm talking about if you're living godly in Christ Jesus, you will be hated for his sake. He will be hated for taking a stand for righteousness. He said, but evil men and imposters, now listen to that, imposters, and we can also look at that in, in 1 John 4, 1, it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirit whether they have gone for many religious imposters or gone out of the world. But he says here in 2 Timothy 3, 12-17, he said, but listen, he said, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Who are they impersonating? They're not impersonating the devil. They're impersonating Christians, they're impersonating the church, they're impersonating the body of Christ, they're impersonating men and women of God. And it says, that it, but it lumps them together with evil people. Evil people and impostors will grow worse and worse. And he said, they will be deceiving many and being deceived themselves. Folks, deception is something that is subtle. Deception is something that's going to come at you with that whispering Mr. Rogers voice. It's going to come at you with that, with that smile on his face. It's going to come at you promising everything but delivering at the end of days condemnation and eternal damnation for those that would refuse to repent and believe the gospel. It is the deception. It's not so bold as to say, well, come and follow me and I'm going to lead you into the pit of hell. Deception comes and says, listen, there's an easier way for you. That there's a way that's, that's going to be sweet and pretty and God has got such a wonderful plan for you and if you'll just become a Christian you'll never have to go through anything that you'll never have to suffer anything folks I'm here to tell you the exact opposite if you have given your life to Jesus Christ get ready it is a time that you're going to suffer great persecution but if you're willing to, to suffer persecution if you're willing to go through things now and to be a partaker of the sufferings of Christ as he says then you too will be a partaker of his glory we're not living for now he said that you are just a sojourner in this land we are just passing through this life. And if what you're in it for is to get a bigger house, a nicer car, more money in your pocket, a longer vacation, if you're in it for that, folks, you're in it for the wrong thing. He said, do not lay up treasures for yourself here on earth where moth and dust corrupt and things break through and steal. He said, but rather lay up treasures for yourself in heaven where, where it's incorruptible, where it cannot be stolen. Why? Because where your heart, treasure is, your heart will be also. And so if you're only treasuring an easier life, that's where your heart is. Rather than saying, you know what, I want to be identified with Christ Jesus. They, 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 they persecuted Jesus. They crucified Jesus. How can I be any different? We talked about Galatians 2.20, that I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not I that live, but it's Christ that lives inside of me. If you want to be His disciple, if you want to come after Him, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. He said, they'll be deceived, 
and they'll be deceiving. But he said, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, both from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood, speaking to a young Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Folks, it's not going to be in the next best uh, uh, self-help book on, on some bookstore shelf. It's not going to be telling you can write your own ticket with God or you can have your best life now or how to avoid problems. It's going to be you getting into the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to get into you. It's not going to be through... through uh, Pastor Troy telling you something. It's not going to be towards anybody else telling you. It's going to be from, from, from us being servants of Christ Jesus and pointing you to the Word of God and you getting into those things yourself, searching out the Scriptures to see if it's so according to Acts 17, 11, knowing Him. Guys, we're just traffic cops. We're just pointing the way to life and to truth and to salvation. You've got to know these things. You've got to learn those things. And you've also got to know those who labor among you. I've said this many times. Try me. Test me. If I say something uh, contrary to the Word of God, not if I say something that hurts your little feelings. Uh, I'm not going to apologize for that. But if I say something contrary to the Word of God, you are obligated by the Word of God to call me down on that. If you need to contact me personally, go to my website, biggrace.com. You will find my home phone number on there. Call me down on that. If you want to email me, call me down on that. We will correct that thing publicly just as we preach that gospel. You are obligated to do those type of things based upon the Word of God. And so you've got to search out those things. But you have got to know those that labor among you. You can't say, well, he seems like a nice guy. You've got to search the Scriptures to see if it's so. Know those that labor among you. How can two walk together except they be in agreement? Then he goes on to tell this young Timothy, he said, he said you've got to know the Holy Scriptures. You've known those things since your childhood which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to say, we talked about this when we opened up Romans, that all Scripture is given by inspiration. It's the theonustos. It's God-breathed. And so when we get into God's Word, He begins to resuscitate us through His breath. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in right. What's it profitable for? Listen. For doctrine. That's what we're teaching, doctrine. People say, well, I, just want, I want to just talk about the Bible. I don't want to talk about doctrine. Folks, I tell you what, you cannot get into the Bible without experiencing doctrine. It is a book of the doctrines of God, the teachings of God, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good Work. The purpose of teaching the Word of God, the purpose of seeing the Word of God, is to bring doctrine into your life. So you will know what you're talking about, to bring reproof, to bring correction, for instruction in righteousness, that you might be equipped thoroughly for every single good work that God has called you to do. Romans 3, 10-12 said, It is written, There is none righteous, not even one. There's none that understands. There's none that seeketh after God. They're, they're all gone out of the way, and they're all together become unprofitable, and there's none that does good, not even one. Not one solitary person. Is that dancing around the word sinner? Is that dance, dancing around the responsibility? Is that condemning? No, folks, that is the word of God. And if you have to build a ministry around avoiding what Jesus said or what avoiding what the apostles said, you are not building a ministry around the word of God. You are building it around these evil imposters of Second Timothy chapter twelve verses twelve through uh, chapter three verses twelve through seventeen, and it is a deception that is growing worse and worse, and not responding to the word of truth is what is going to bring condemnation. Okay, Romans 3, 23 through 26. 
God starts seeming animated about this, it's because I am. Because I believe that these things have slipped into the church in such a tremendous and devastating way that we have got to begin to herald the righteousness of God to the nations because the time is so short and literally we stand at the threshold of eternity and we've got to tell them that people might be saved. But Romans 3, 23 through 26, get there real quick. And here's what he says. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We talked about that. We've lost the God perspective. But now listen to what begins to happen in verse 24. He said, But being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness that He might be just and that he might be a justifier of those which believe in him. So let's look at verse 24 specifically here for the next few minutes. He said, All of sin comes short of the glory of God. We've seen that. That that kind of summed up those first, I believe, 89 verses of the book of Romans that we, we covered up to that point, those first three and a half chapters. Then all of a sudden he says, For all of sin comes short of the glory of God. Then he begins to change. He begins to say, But this is the answer, folks. We're about to see it. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That word justification, here's where you need to start taking your notes. Justification means to be justified by faith. Okay? I want to say that. Justification, or be justified, means to be justified by faith. There is no justification apart from faith. The goal of faith and, and the, 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 the target of faith is to, to bring justification. Put together justification and faith have got to be interlocked with one another to have any type of benefit or power in your life. Which what that means is that a person is justified in the eyes of God. And so if I'm justified by faith, that means I'm justified by the Word of God. It's, it's different. To, you know, somebody might try to justify their actions apart from faith. And so what that is, it leads to compromise and deception. You can say, well, listen, uh, you, you ask somebody, well, you're in, you're in sin. They can say, well, you know what, I'm justified in it because of the way I was raised. Or you might tell somebody, well, that you can't be drinking. The Bible teaches in, in Galatians that, that, uh, that, 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 that a drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, I'm justified in it because I've lived a hard life or that my dad was an alcoholic. That, that, that is not justification by faith. That is justification by sin. And so justification by faith means that a person is justified in the eyes of God. And the only way that we can be justified in the eyes of God is to have faith in the testimony of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Or that God has declared you not guilty. That's what justification by faith is. You can say, justification by faith is that God has declared me not guilty. Write that down. And it describes in this verse just exactly how this is accomplished in our lives. And so it says, being justified, and the next word there is the word freely. And it's the word, word in the Greek which is Dorian, D-O-R-E-A-N. It's the Greek word, freely is the word Dorian, which is, it means to do something gratuitously and without just cause. And so if I've got something freely, I'm doing it gratuitously, and I'm doing it without just cause. And so it, it's something, you know, you give a, a, a gratuity after you've already paid for your meal. And so what are you doing? You're doing it. You're, you've already gone into that place. And so if you have somebody serving upon you, you, you give them a gratuity. It's something that is, is given free. It's, it's without cause. Why? You say, I've already paid for it. That's the reason that you go into it. That's the difference because you've got somebody serving upon you. You go to pay for your gas. You know, here in, in Daytona Beach, we're paying nearly $3 a gallon for gas. 
You get yourself uh, a tank of gas and pay 50 or $60. You don't walk back into that cashier and say, listen, I want to give you a gratuity. Here's you another $10 for your, your work. You don't think that. But in the service industry, if somebody, you go and pay for a meal and you go pay $15 for a steak, afterwards you're going to say, you know what? I want to give a percentage of that back to that person because they served upon us. Folks, listen, Jesus Christ didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so he gave, he, he gave of himself gratuitously. He gave of himself freely even after he had already paid the price. And so what does that cause us to do? It causes us to be justified or declared guiltless in his eyes and to give back to him gratuitously. And so it, it is to, to give something without cause. And so the idea is that God requires no price to be paid by the sinner in respect to any free gift of salvation. He's, he's just doing it because he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave. He came and he served himself upon us. He gave us that, 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 that gratuitous outpouring of his love when he hung upon the cross of Calvary. We didn't deserve it. We didn't, we didn't do it. We didn't do anything to merit those things. And we were enemies of him. But because of his righteousness... Uh, that, that emanated for him. And so as a result of that, he, he puts his love inside of our hearts. He says that we know, they know that we're his disciples by the love that we show one another. Why? Because as he was gratuitous towards us by, by giving his life and justified us through faith, it should cause something else to come out of our life. And so there's no charge whatsoever. And I want to say that. Here's the thing. When you begin to teach righteousness to people and you begin to preach uh, truth and holiness, the first thing that they want to come at you with and say, well, you're just preaching a doctrine of works. I am preaching anything but a doctrine of works. We are not saved by works whatsoever. Ephesians tells us that, that we're saved by grace through faith. You've got to have that faith in there. It's a free gift of God. It's not of ourselves. That way we can't boast. But he said we're created under good works. We're not saved by good works but we are created as a new creation to do good works. And so we don't do good works to get saved. We do good works as a result of being saved. It becomes things that come out of our life uh, that demonstrate salvation, not things that come into our life that bring about salvation. And guys, that's really the key. Good works are things that come out of our life that demonstrate or testify that we are saved. They're not things that we bring into our lives uh, through our own actions or through our own attempts that, that bring about salvation. We're just the revelation or the revealing or the manifestation of the salvation that's already in our lives. And so when we're justified by faith, and you, you've got to get this into your heart because this, this is not a works mentality. This is a faith mentality. The faith produces something in our lives. And if it's not produced, it's not faith. It's not justification by faith. And so there's no charge whatsoever, and consequently, and you've got to hear this, any payment that we try to offer up as, as a sinner that would try to, 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 to give something to God, say, well, I'm going to do this, is not only unacceptable, but it also nullifies the free gift of God because it exposes our heart. And, and really what it says is that the, that the person does not really see themselves as the enemy of God, but when we try to do things to, to warrant salvation, it, it says to God that we're somehow that, that we're doing God a favor by serving Him. You know what? I'm, I, you know, I really don't need Him. I'm going to try this out, and as a result, I'll go to church. You know, because you know God's a good old boy. He's a, he, he's pretty good to me. So as long as I'm not doing anything else, I think I'll go to church. Or you know what? I think I'll you know here's the old guy standing on the corner. I think I'll you know I'm going to do God a favor, and I'm going to I'm going to give them a, a hamburger. Or I'm going to go and, and talk nice to somebody or whatever else. 
Folks, listen. If we do those things thinking that somehow we're doing God a favor, we're not doing God a favor. God's the only one that done any favor to us. That He found us wretched. He found us broken. He found us despised. And He began to share with us His love through the testimony of the cross of Calvary and through a repentant heart and through speaking to us and, and through convicting us of sin. We saw that we were undone and we come to Him and we are justified. We are declared not guilty before the Father. Not because of our own works of righteousness, but because we saw that there was absolutely nothing that we could do apart from Jesus Christ, apart from faith in the cross of Calvary, and we put our hope in Him. And so, anything that we try to do afterwards to justify those things will nullify and expose our heart and say, listen, you really didn't come to Him in, in a repentant heart. You came to Him thinking that, that you're doing Him a favor because He's making you a pretty good offer. And so it's just a reciprocating type of deal. Absolutely not. There's nothing that we could offer that would ever pay the penalty or, or, or bring justification for our old lives apart from faith in the cross of Calvary. Freely, being justified freely, is just that, folks. It's free. And we must recognize that there's nothing on our part that could possibly ever merit so great of salvation. So folks, this is what should always cause us to maintain literally our enduring relationship with Jesus. That we didn't deserve it. That all have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. That we did not deserve it. That while we were wretched, that He showed great mercy and great love for us. It's, it's, that, it's what we talked about. That fear of God. And Paul brought that that that, that, that that really that, that proclamation that there was no fear of God in your eyes, that there was no fear of God in the church, that there's no moral dread to be displeasing unto God. And so when I see how freely it is, and I see that I was a sinner, and that Christ came into my life, and I'm no longer a sinner because of Him, but I've been adopted into the beloved, and now He's declared me a saint before Him, there ought to be something endearing to me that says, listen, I, I'm not going to walk in compromise. I'm not going to uh, be reflective of the world. The works of my life are going to demonstrate holiness and righteousness and truth and the power of God. And so I'm going to walk out those things and that we that I desperately need Him and that He desperately uh, demonstrated his, his love for me upon the cross. And so out of those things, I'm going, to, I'm going to bring forth and I'm going to preach His Word with desperation to people that are desperate and in need of salvation. So being freely justified by His... Then the next word in that verse is by His grace. And I've, I've preached on this. I've talked about it. Somewhat touched on it in the teaching on Romans. But that word grace here is not that old covenant type of mentality of just being the unmerited favor of God. Is grace, is, is it unmerited? Absolutely. There's nothing that we could do, just like we talked about. It's given free. But it, it moves beyond just being unmerited. Anything can be unmerited. Anything can be gratuitous. But when God gave His grace, it's a different type of grace than that old covenant thing that, that He just recognized and called the people out and He said, okay, I'm going to make you the Jewish people and I'm going to use you as the, as the means to, to bring salvation into the whole world. Folks, the grace of the new covenant goes so, so much more deeper than that. It is such an empowerment to us. It is such an ability to walk in righteousness. And it's the, it's the Greek word charis. The English spelling of that would be C-H-A-R-I-S. C-H-A-R-I-S. And it's, this grace is such that it requires evidence. It, it requires an impact in our life that, that causes a subsequent reaction that, that is soon coming out of our lives. And so by definition... It's the divine influence of God upon the heart and its reflection in the life. It's God's free. It's that God speaking out that justification. It's God ministering to us and convicting us of sin. It's free. It's the divine influence upon our lives 
the demands or through faith it's going to ex- cause the expression of those, those good works that, that glorify our Father who is in heaven. And so 2 Corinthians 7.15 says this. 2 Corinthians 7.15 It says, And His affections are greater for you as He remembers the obedience of y'all and how with great fear and trembling you received Him. Folks, grace should create an atmosphere of fear and trembling in our lives. He says, these are the affections. His affections are greater for us as He remembers the obedience of you all. Folks, listen to it. It's, it's talking about Christ's affections towards us increase as we walk in obedience to what He says. And, and it not only says that, it says, of how you all, how with fear and trembling you have received Him. Now, if you're listening to this today, maybe live, if you're listening to it uh, uh, via a, a recorded uh, copy of this, how have you received Him? Have you received Him with fear and trembling? Have you received Him with the moral dread of being displeasing unto Him? Have you received Christ thinking, you know what, there's nothing that I would ever want to do to be displeasing unto Him. And as a result of that, literally there's a trembling that, that comes inside of my, my life. Jeremiah, he's called the weeping prophet, it says, it, it, he, he says, you know what, it's, it's like fire that's shut up in my bones. There's a, there's a trembling that has come upon my life that, I just, uh, that, that I've got to proclaim His holiness. I've got to proclaim His, his righteousness. And, and His affections come upon us in, in a great way when we're obedient to Him, but the only way we're really obedient to Him is when we've received Him in that heart and that attitude of, of fear and trembling. Folks, the Word said is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Apart and outside of this free grace and this justification of being not guilty. And so I would never, folks, I would never as a minister of the gospel and as a responsible party, as a watchman on the wall, as Ezekiel declares us, I would never want anyone that I know or I've met or I've come in contact with, and for that matter, anyone else, to fall into the hands of a living God of their own merits. And um, or just because somebody soft-sold the gospel and they walked in compromise, I would never want anyone to have to cut their sin and their wickedness and the, 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 the guilty nature of who they are apart from Jesus Christ to have to come in contact with the holiness of God apart from faith in Jesus Christ. You know why, folks? Because the consequences are, 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 are devastating. They're eternal. And, 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 and it's, it's eternal hell. And so we've got to preach a gospel that creates that, that moral dread of being displeasing unto Him, that preaches righteousness, that preaches truth, that is the genuine message of grace. It's the genuine message of the divine influence. Not the, 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 the human influence, not the psychological influence, not the emotional influence, but the divine influence. And every time the divine shows up, the divine shows up in power, the divine shows up in righteousness, the divine shows up in holiness, the divine shows up in truth. And so if it's going to be influenced by those things, which are the only things that can produce true salvation, faith, which is the, 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 the moral conviction of the truthfulness of God, we've, we've got to stand on those things. And Philippians 2, 8-16 says this. It says, And being found in fashion as a man, speaking of Jesus, it says, He humbled himself, and he became obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every other name, 
that at the name of Jesus that every knee should bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Goes back to that glory. Every all, all of sin comes short of the glory of God. But He's given us that 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 name that every tongue should confess and get back to that place of glory. Then He says in verse twelve of, of Philippians two, He said, "In the, the He said, wherefore, my beloved." He said, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He said, for it is God which worketh in you both to will or to desire or to seek after, and listen to this next part, and to do His good pleasure. Folks, it is God who is working us through grace, through the preaching of the gospel, through His, His working in our life, not only to desire to do those things, but to actually do those things because those are the things that do bring good pleasure to Him. Then He goes on to say in verse 14, He said, Do all things without murmuring, without disputing, without complaining. Don't be shaking your fist in heaven and say, Listen, I can't believe it's there, or God, you shouldn't demand those things out of me. And He said, As a result of that, in verse 15, He said, Do these things and that you might be blameless and harmless as the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And he said, Among whom you shine as lights in the midst of the world. And he said, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither have I labored in vain. Folks, we've got to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But when the word of God comes into us and we're being justified freely by His grace, then that grace is going to produce something else. It's going to influence us. It's going to influence us by holiness. It's going to influence us by righteousness. It's going to influence us by power. And if, if it's not creating a fear and trembling in your life, then you've got to go back to that place and say, if I really receive grace through faith, am I, am I really walking in that place where I recognize and see the holiness of God? Or have I allowed myself, as, as we talked about, to be deceived and great deception to come upon me in the, in, in the slide of cunning craftiness of men and, and, the, and the false teaching and the deception and, 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 and having my ears plugged up by, by, by deception and by the lust of my own flesh. But then he says, being justified freely by His grace. Now here's the great part, folks. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That word redemption, you can write it down. It literally means to be redeemed by paying the price. We have been freely, we've been justified, we've been declared not guilty, Freely, without a payment, without a price, that it's been His gratuitous love towards us and by His divine influence upon our heart and its reflection in our life, through that redemption or through that He has literally paid the price for those things in our life. And so that redemption, it, it is redeemed by, by, by Him paying the price. It's claiming something back by the payment. And folks, you know what that payment was? That payment was His very life. And so He paid with His life the expectancy is for us to reciprocate by laying down our lives for Him. And if, it's, if, if, if someone comes preaching you a gospel that demands anything but you having to lay down your life, as Paul told the church at Galatia, it is not a gospel at all. And if somebody comes preaching that, he said, if it's him, if it's an angel, I'll tell you, if it's me, let that man be accursed. Because in order to walk in genuine redemption, there's got to be a laying down of the life and to pay that price. And the price Jesus paid was His own life, His, his, his own person, and what He desires from us is us to lay down our life in the exact same way. <coughs> Folks, what's interesting about that 
This is really three Greek words that line up in that. And one of those words is the word uh, agorazo, which is A-G-O-R-A-Z-O. A-G-O-R-A-Z-O. It's a Greek word for redemption. And it literally means to be bought out of the slave market. And so if I've been redeemed by him, I've been bought out of the slave market. Write these scriptures down and you can look them up later. 1 Corinthians 6.20 1 Corinthians 6.20 This is when the, the agorazo type of redemption is utilized. It's 1 Corinthians 6.20 1 Corinthians 7.23 1 Corinthians 7.23 2 Peter 2.1 It means that he bought us out of the slave market but the price that he paid was literally his own blood. See folks, most of the time we don't realize that we were a slave to sin. That we just thought, you know what, we were a victim of circumstance, that we weren't altogether bad. But listen, guys, before, when, he, when we stood upon that opposite block of sin, and he paid for us, and he outbid sin and death and destruction with his own blood, we were slaves to sin. We were bound by sin. Some of you listen to this, and some of you that have the testimony in your own life, you realize where you came from. I know where I was. I wasn't born lily white. I was born wicked. I was born without hope. I was born with a desperate need for Jesus. And I was born into sin, but He bought me literally out of that slave market. And so, listen folks, we have a choice today. When He says, Choose you this day whom you will serve, out of Joshua 24, out of that old covenant, as for me and my house will serve the door, the Lord, as Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, He said, Behold, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. That we come to that place of choice. We're either going to be a slave to righteousness, or, or, or as a bond slave to Jesus, as someone that's, that's, that's given themselves totally unto Him in their life, or we're going to be a slave to Satan. We cannot serve two masters. We, we, we cannot uh, uh, walk in that type of thing. But here's the good news. When we're a slave to righteousness, He said in Matthew 11, 28-30, He said that His yoke, or the chains of that slavery, are easy. They're light. And so we come to Him, it, it, it's an easy slavery. Not in the sense that it's easy believism, but the slavery, the, the easiness of it is the consequences of it is going to be life and justification and life everlasting. The second word, and I'm going to close with this and we'll get back in this on tomorrow's program. It's the word exterazo, which is E-X-A-G, E-X-A-G-O-R-A-Z-O. And it means to be bought out of a slave market. The, the first one means to, uh, to, to, to buy out of the slave market. And this means to, to buy completely out of the slave market. And that's really an extension of the same word. And we'll get that out of Galatians 3.13 and Galatians 4.5. But what this is, it's meant that you're bought to the place with the expectancy of never having to go back. And so the, the first word, that agorazo means that you're bought. But he, he goes on and says in Galatians 3.13 and 4.5 that that uh, ekorazo, which means, listen, and you're bought never to be put back on the slave market again. And that's why he tells us not to be again, once again entangled in the yoke of bondage. Don't go back to that place. Don't be like the dog returning to its vomit or the, or the, the, the sow that has been washed to the, back to the wallowing in the mire. Don't find yourself back in that same situation. Folks, that's all we have time for today. I'm Pastor Torbon, the Raven Institute of Ministry and uh, Biblical Studies. Uh, you guys that are watching live, we'll be back Monday morning, 9 o'clock uh, Central Time. You guys are listening on DVD if you, uh, or CD-ROM. If you want to get these messages in their entirety, you can go to www.raveninstitute.blogspot.com. God bless you. Have a great day. Get into God's Word, and God's Word will get into you.